Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church to our Sunday school hour. It's a joy and a pleasure to have you tune into this, and I pray that the Lord blesses you. We are finishing up September, which is just, boy, time really does go faster as you get older, doesn't it? And uh, we are presenting this on September 25th of 2022. And as you uh, are well aware, if you've been keeping up with all of us, and if you're a teacher, certainly you have, we're coming to the end of an era and the end of an empire. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, when we read that, it's just like, well, you know, things happen and things change and nations rise and fall and empires come and go. And we're kind of used to that in history. But if you um, put yourself in the shoes of the Babylonians and you think about what it's like when your empire, your nation, your culture, and in this case, your king, uh, his reign is coming to an end and you don't really know what the future holds and the enemy is surrounding you and uh, they've invaded your city and that type of thing and they are literally the conquerors. wonder how that must have felt and what the context demands in this story. What was going on in Belshazzar's life? What was going on in the lives of those people there? What was it going to be like when the new king and the new uh, empire uh, took over? Who's going to live? Who's going to die? It was typical in those days to uh, kill all of your rivals or anybody who might be loyal to a previous monarch. I was watching um, on Big Cat Week one time about uh, a pride of lions that they're very territorial. And uh, there was a river that separated one pride of lions from another. Well, things got desperate and there was drought and hunger. And so this one lion took his pride over into another lion's territory and you know what happened. They ended up in a fight, a tremendous clash of the, of the uh, male lions. And one of them won. And it was a fight, of course, unto the death. And then after the lion was dead, the victorious lion did something very interesting. He kept all of the dead lion's females, his harem, for lack of a better word, but he killed all of the dead lion's offspring. In other words, the way that they put it in the documentary, he wanted to wipe out all of his rival's DNA. That's kind of the way, as they talked about that, the way ancient kingdoms used to be. When you, uh, they didn't know about DNA or anything, but they knew about bloodlines and they kept careful track, especially among the royalty of the bloodlines, and they didn't want anyone uh, popping up who could make a claim to the throne or rally the conquered people to say, this is our true king. And by the way, just as a you know, parenthetical thing, that's why King Herod was so upset when he heard the wise men say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? See, Herod was appointed king of the Jews by Rome, but to be born king of the Jews means that you had, well, King David's DNA in you and that uh, that might 
make you a rival, and it also might stir up a lot of messianic and nationalistic feelings among the Jews, and uh, that would put Herod's whole position uh, in jeopardy, especially if it caused trouble that Rome had to get involved in to settle it down, well, then Herod, you know, would probably be out of a job. And so this is the kind of thinking that they had back then. You know, just recently, Queen Elizabeth II of England uh, passed away, and her funeral was yesterday at the time of this recording anyway. And the pageantry, the expense, and the history in it is kind of interesting. But also, when you look at some of the rituals that they have, uh, very, very Christian. And there were a lot of references to Christ and salvation and eternal life. Now, I don't know whether she believed all of that from her heart or whether it was just simply tradition, but uh, it was quite nice to see. And, of course, her son, King Charles III, is now the reigning monarch over the British uh, Empire, I guess you would say. And uh, that it was a very peaceful, normal, and natural transition. That's what every king, every monarch wants. They want their heir to uh, take over, and they call it their house, of course. And uh, they want their dynasty to go on and on and on. But back in the days when we are reading about here, there was always the threat of a rival king coming in and uh, assassinating, killing, conquering the previous monarch. It was a very bloody, very violent type thing. And the aftermath of a new king was not always a pleasant thing. And so that's the setting of everything that has happened here. One empire has come crashing down. The king is dead. And there is a new reigning monarch who was, as of, you know, a few hours ago, a few days ago, he was an enemy. Now he is the king of all of this. What's going to happen? And how is that going to affect our hero, Daniel? Because we are looking at the life of Daniel. Daniel's quite a bit older now. And we're reading in Daniel chapter 5. 17 through 31, and uh, we'll make the point, and then we'll uh, read the text as it goes along. Now, as we think about the rise and fall of nations, we have to think about our Lord. Our Lord is not just off somewhere with his arms folded, doing something else, distracted, and then uh, he hears a noise and looks around and goes, oh, another nation has fallen and another one has been raised up. That's not the case at all. He is the one who crushes nations, and he's the one who raises up other ones. And uh, in spite of this, rulers tend to be, uh, this is going to be of no surprise to anyone, very arrogant, and they take themselves way too seriously. They think that they are better and more intelligent and sometimes favored by God or by the gods in this case to rule and to reign, and they trust the gods to keep them safe. Remember, Belshazzar means, uh, may Bel protect the king. And at this point, God has said, you know, it's over. And I wonder sometimes about our own nation. 
Has God abandoned us completely? I think it's clear that we are under the judgment of God. I don't think it's coming. I think it's already here. Uh, whether it is a permanent judgment of finality um, or whether it is a judgment of correction, I don't know. I guess time will tell, won't it? But I do know it seems like we uh, have a lot of arrogant people that are uh, in charge of things now. They don't ever want to hear the other side. They don't want to consider anything. And um, it's just really strange to me. But this is nothing new. So don't put it just in the context of Biden or Trump or anybody like that. This, this goes way back. In fact, um, there was a New York state law <clears throat> that required, isn't that interesting, required public schools to open each day with the Pledge of Allegiance and a non-denominational prayer. Can you imagine? Well, some of you can, because some of you lived through that. I didn't. And um, the students recognized uh, their dependence upon God in this prayer. It was really kind of an innocuous prayer. And the law also allowed students to absent themselves from this activity if they found it objectionable. A parent sued on behalf of his child, arguing that the law violated the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment to the Constitution as made applicable to the states through the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. Okay? All that to be said, here's what the prayer was. Ready for this? Boy, it's going to be shocking to you. It's going to really offend you. It is going to really stir up things. Here it is. Almighty God, <clears throat> we acknowledge our dependence upon thee, and we beg thy blessings on us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. And that's it. No Jesus, nothing about salvation or heaven or hell or anything like that. That was it. And that was such a horrible, terrible thing for students to do every day that, well, you know what happened at, uh, that is an illegal, that little thing that they did there, which is kind of a to whom it may concern prayer, was, uh, you know, completely thrown out. And uh, we can't have anything like that now. Even up until the 80s, having the Ten Commandments hanging in a, a schoolroom was made illegal because a student might look at it, they might read it, then they might think of it, and then they might obey it, and that would be the establishment of religion. But actually what happened is all of the sense of authority, of the authority of God, and of a sovereign who reigns above nations, kings and queens and presidents and prime ministers, people like that, there was a God in heaven who ruled over everything, was uh, taken away out of the minds of uh, uh, seceding generations, I guess we would say. And uh, as a result, have we become better? I think if you look at things like crime statistics, uh, suicide, as you look at um, the way we treat one another, as you look at attitudes towards authority, whether it be simply the police or school authorities, principals, parents, 
those type of people uh, in, any, in any place, all of that has taken a nosedive. And our morality has certainly suffered <coughs> in a tremendous way. I heard uh, that just today, <coughs> the percentage of couples in America today that are married, that are married, is at an all-time low. And that the fastest-growing faith group in America right now, not necessarily dominant, but fastest-growing, are what they call the nuns, not Catholic nuns, but the N-O-N-E-S. They don't have any religion whatsoever, not even a bad one. They just don't believe in much of anything. And this is kind of the way that uh, nations go as they decline. And the arrogance of rulers, because they don't feel any accountability to God, much less voters, uh, they tend to take things on themselves. I'm powerful, I'm strong, I achieved this myself, I am invincible. Kind of sounds like that Helen Reddy song, I Am Woman, doesn't it? But that's the way kings thought. Now, this is what Nebuchadnezzar thought. Remember, as he strolled through Babylon, look at my kingdom and look at the city that I built and look at all that I have done. And you remember then he was humbled before God and then he became a believer and his kingdom was restored to him. This is also the way Belshazzar is as he thinks about all of this. Nobody can take over our particular uh, nation, our city. The walls are too thick and they're too high. We've got plenty of water from the Euphrates River and we've got food to last for 20 years. So a party. And little did he know that the handwriting on the wall when it comes to him is going to declare something completely different because it was the handwriting of the finger of God. Now, when he's perplexed about this, the queen mother says to him, there was a guy that your grandfather knew and he helped him out with the same kind of thing, let's call him. And so they do. So Daniel shows up and the uh, king says, if you can tell me what this is and what it means, then you'll have a purple robe, a gold chain, and you'll be third in the kingdom. So that leads us to point number one. And this is the wisdom of Daniel in this situation. Number one, the word of God determines the value of man's rewards. We find that in verse 17. <clears throat> then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. So Daniel let the finger of God put things in perspective. You see, normally if somebody says, you know, when you're talking about a king and a big empire, I'm going to dress you up in a robe of royal authority with a chain that probably had some significance of rank or title or some kind of authority like that. Not just a common everyday jewelry store chain, but this would be a chain that would really set him apart from everyone else, maybe like a rank insignia 
on a military uniform or something like that, and then make you third in the kingdom. Boy, most people would be jumping for joy on that, and they would be grinning from ear to ear and all excited about it. Daniel says, you know, give that to somebody else. Keep it for yourself. Why did he do that? Because he knew what the Word of God said. And the Word of God was written on the wall by the finger of God, and that put everything in perspective for him. You know, that ought to be the same for us. We have the completed Bible, the Word of God, 66 books bound together in perfect harmony and in final authority as the inerrant, infallible, eternal, all-sufficient Word of God. We don't need anything else. And in it, God has spoken. And it is the way we ought to interpret everything that goes on in the world. It is through it that we take a look at ourselves. I may feel like I'm a really good person. I may feel like I am a cut above everyone else. But you see, my heart, like yours, can be very wicked and very deceptive. And that's why in Psalm 139 it says, David asked for God to search him and to know his heart, because we can't really get it figured out. We fool ourselves. You know who the biggest liar to me is? It's me. And uh, it's so easy to overlook or downplay those kind of things. I need the Word of God like a mirror to show me where my sin is, to show me if I'm on the right track. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? Your Word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Those type of things are needed. We need it to judge everything else that is going on around us. What is good? What is bad? What is right or wrong? When we look at people that maybe lead us, and we need to make an evaluation, do I like them? Well, hey, they paid me a lot of money. They must be a really good person. Or I look at the Word of God, and I see that their faith and their actions and all of that do not uh, square up with what a child of God would do or think or believe. And so the Word of God changes me. Instead of saying they're a good person because of what they do for me, I look at them and I see them as perhaps a lost person in need of the gospel and in need of the grace of God. And so my thoughts toward them pursue their salvation rather than pursuing their money. You see how that works? Political leaders, the same way. Someone may look and I say, well, life is good for me and I've got money in my retirement, so let this guy go on while he is doing what? Killing babies or affirming same-sex same -sex marriage or lying or gaining power or different things like that. Well, the Word of God would tell me, for example, in Micah 6, 8, he has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. I wonder how many people that have been governors of our state would fit that. I wonder how many presidents of our nation would really fit that. I wonder how many congressmen, how many senators, how many mayors, how many city councilmen, how many people on our school boards. What about people in our, that are judges? I wonder how many people would fit that. I wonder how many of us that that particular verse would describe our life in the way that we act toward other people and toward our neighbors and toward people that we 
work with uh, on the job and that type of thing. You see, the Word of God is what changes us. And instead of just looking at what we can get and what benefits us, we look at the big picture. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. That's what we ought to be praying for for President Biden, that he would do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with his God. Pray that for all of our people that we have elected to lead us. And uh, that's the way we ought to be looking at ourselves. So Daniel saw all of this, and so the finger of God, the Word of God, put it into perspective because he knew that all of the world's promotions were absolutely what? Worthless. He could read what was on the wall and he knew that the gold chain and the purple robe and that title of third in the kingdom going to be worthless in just a few hours when King Darius of the Medes and the Persians invades and takes over. And so the same is true for us. Everything in this life is temporary. Someone said about a wealthy man, how much did he leave? And the wise answer was all of it, all of it. And so uh, we think about that no matter how long. Queen Elizabeth is the longest ruling British monarch. And yet it ended, didn't it? It ended. And that's the way it is for all of us. Daniel showed that he could not and would not be influenced for or against the king here because he knew the whole situation. Think about Micaiah, the prophet before Ahab in 1 Kings 22, 13, and 14. He's the, uh, my grandson is the namesake for this prophet. And it says, And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And that's the way it ought to be for every preacher, every prophet, and even for all of us. We need to speak truth and speak it in love, but we need to make sure that it is true as it squares up with the Word of God. Okay, let's move along. Number two, the sins of others should bring wisdom and correction, verses 18 and 19. Now, we're going to make reference back to the conversion, the humiliation, and the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar. Why didn't Belshazzar see that? Why didn't the queen mother see that and become followers of Yahweh? Daniel was involved in both situations, but it didn't happen. And you know, we are so foolish. We are so foolish. We see other people as they suffer for their sins, as they reap what they sow, and then we are arrogant enough, and this is where the pride from point one comes in, we're arrogant enough to think that it won't happen to us that we'll get away with it. We'll be the exception to the rule. And I'm warning you, don't do that. You're not going to get away with it either. So the Bible says, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whoever he wished, he put down. Boy, that's uh, an absolute monarchy, isn't it? 
And Nebuchadnezzar had set an example here. And uh, he had pride that led to his destruction. There was humility. There was correction. And then he ends up with a right relationship with God afterwards. And Nebuchadnezzar should, uh, well, he properly reacted to this. And he should, Belshazzar should have learned from Nebuchadnezzar and his sins. And he should have learned from and followed the good example for him. He had a pattern. Now, let's be fair. Nebuchadnezzar had no pattern. Nebuchadnezzar didn't even know about Yahweh uh, in a positive manner until he met Daniel. And then he saw his power. But Belshazzar had all of these other things. Had he paid attention, had he learned from them. Proverbs 21, 11 says, when a scoffer is punished, he, the simple becomes wise. When a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. And so we find here that a lot of these rulers may have a lot of money, a lot of power, a lot of influence. They may even have a lot of degrees, but they're just, for the most part, not very smart, are they? They're fools, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. Number three, notice here the contrast of rulers in verses 20 through 23. They kind of overlap. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys, and they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven and they have brought the vessels of his house before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know and the God who holds your breath in his hand. That's a great statement in it. The God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways you have not glorified. So think again about it. Nebuchadnezzar, without any knowledge of that, comes to know the true and the living God. Kind of speaks of election and the sovereignty of God and God having mercy on whom he chooses, right? Belshazzar, at the same time, knows all of this, Daniel says. He knows it, but he conveniently puts it away. He ignores it, and he doesn't follow the examples. And I wonder how many examples, good examples, have been in our own government and in our own land that maybe present and recent people have chosen not to follow. How many good examples, let's put it this way, do you have in your life that you've chosen not to follow? Or your children or grandchildren have in their life, but they have chosen not to follow. So the humility of Nebuchadnezzar 
made him a worshiper of the true God, Belshazzar, had the same type of thing happen, and yet his led to destruction. Warren Wearsby said, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. And Belshazzar becomes more hardened against God, more blasphemous, while Nebuchadnezzar became tender toward the Lord. And that's what we want out of people for their hearts to be made tender. And number four, we've labeled it the point of no return. Look at verse 24. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, from God, the God who rules. And his writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, teko, ufarsin. And this is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. And of course, it's repeated twice because um, it is a final word here that emphasizes it. And maybe also because the empire was the Medes and the Persians saying that it was divided between those two peoples that were allied together. Tikal, it says, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And then Perez, a, a form of Eupharsin, and it says, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he would be the third ruler in the kingdom, at least for a few hours, maybe. Uh, give Belshazzar credit. He was a man of his word, but after that pronouncement, he was probably afraid not to be. Verse 20, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And that's the end of his life. And that's the same thing that is true of all of us. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. It doesn't matter what others say of you or what kind of power you have or how much money you have. You can't buy another second when your time has come. And so um, the kingdom of Belshazzar is numbered. That means it is limited by God's sovereign decree. Nobody lives forever. Nobody reigns forever. Nobody gets away with anything forever. There is a judgment that is coming. Well, when we think about it, again, it's uh, mentioned twice for emphasis, and it's over because of God. It just wasn't that luck ran out. It wasn't that circumstances came against him. This was the hand and the finger of God that says enough and it is over. Regardless of what man does or does not do, it's over. And he's judged by God and he comes up short. You know, uh, people say, I'll just wait till we stand before God and hopefully the good will outweigh the bad. Never happens. The bad always outweighs, poisons, taints, and contaminates the good. And our works are always inadequate. That's why the measurement thing never goes in your favor. It would never go in my favor. We've got to have the grace of God, the undeserved favor, not the favor that comes from the good outweighed the bad in our lives. We would hope that it would, but we still need grace because all of our sin contaminates all of our good works apart from Christ. It says in Revelation 20, verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, 
Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, now look at this, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You mean not a single one of those people had enough good works to overcome their bad works? And the answer is no. Been weighed in the balance like Belshazzar and found wanting. And that's the fate that awaits everybody that depends upon themselves, that depends upon their goodness. And you say, well, I only sinned a little bit, but it only takes a little poison to uh, contaminate the whole bottle of water or whatever it is that you might have put the poison in, and that's the way sin is. It is indeed a poison. Somebody said it thrills and then it kills. It fascinates and then it assassinates. It's kind of corny, but it's easy to remember, isn't it? And so that sin is what has to be dealt with, and that is dealt with only by the sufficient death of Christ on the cross for our sins, being judged in our place by the Father for our sins so that we could receive his righteousness and uh, have eternal life. And so, uh, again, the kingdom here, as uh, written on the wall, divided between the Medes and the Persians. And so the reward, therefore, is meaningless. And Belshazzar was slain that very night. It reminds me of Luke 12, 20, <clears throat> with the rich man who had all of the stuff and built bigger barns and all of that. And it says, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you prepared, whose will they be? Again, what they leave behind? All of it. All of it. Kingdoms rise. Kingdoms fall. Kings are deposed. Kings are conquered. Kings die. It, it always happens that way. And the conclusion is found in verse 31. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Hey, that's my age. And no nation exists without the permission of God. Don't ever think that. And no nation, including our own, can withstand the judgment of God. The people of God need to have no need to fear because they belong to a higher kingdom and serve the highest king. And Daniel had that. That's why he is so calm and that's why he has so peace, so much peace. He knows he serves a king that is never going to be thrown off, never going to be assassinated, never going to be slain, never going to be impeached, never going to be deposed. God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, right? And uh, he knows that he is in the hand of that king, not the hand of any earthly king, whether it be Belshazzar or whether it be Darius. And that's one of the things we need to remember. We all have our preferences as to what kind of government we want, who we would like to be president, who we would like to be, I mean, at any level around us, boss or whatever. Uh, we have our, our uh, preferences on that. But we need to remember and think about the fact that we are citizens of another kingdom, of a higher kingdom, and our king reigns, and we are safely protected in his hands. And even if something goes bad as we see it on earth, 
we're going to just leave here to go to that great kingdom and uh, where there will be no sorrow, no sickness, no pain, no crying, nothing like that at all into that place Jesus spoke of that he prepared for us in uh, John 14. So let that give you peace. Let that give you hope. And also let that be a motivation. We need to pray for our leaders and we need to also be a witness to them and a witness to those who are all around us because truly Jesus is America's only hope. Well, thank you for your time and uh, I appreciate it so much. I pray that God blesses you in a very, very special way and we'll see you again next week.